It's great to be with you today on the 3rd of January. I can't believe we made it here. I don't know uh, about you, maybe you are like me and uh, you just took your Christmas tree down or you're still finishing off the Christmas cake. Uh, but amongst all these things, we are still uh, dealing with coronavirus, aren't we? Usually in January, it's a great time to gear up for the year ahead. Uh, because I think many of us over the Christmas season, we have time to stop and reflect. I was chatting to people this morning who were here and you know, it's been a very different Christmas for all of us with uh, out uh, being able to see close family and friends. But maybe for you, that's given you the opportunity to stop and reflect, reflect on uh, where you're at in life. I said this last January. Um, look, it's good at least once a year to stop and self-evaluate how you're doing. You know, self-evaluation is a really good thing. How are you doing physically? How are you doing emotionally? How are you doing spiritually? Do you gauge yourself on those areas of your life and say, well, okay, if I was going to mark myself out of 10 for how I'm doing, where am I at at the moment? So physically at the moment, I've taken on far too much Christmas cake. So for me, January is going to be a time of running for me because I've self-evaluated and I've realized that I need to make some changes. Maybe for you, though, you need to be thinking about spending some more time with Jesus. Maybe it's spending some more time to relax. Maybe working from home for you is actually something that's being means that you work all the time. So where are you at? Where are you at at the moment? Many of us do that over Christmas as we approach January. But despite of that kind of self-evaluation, that kind of looking forward into the year ahead, how am I going to do this year? Coronavirus is like a dark cloud over all of our heads, isn't it? And I'm so bored of it. I'm literally, I'm just, I keep saying to Claire at home, I'm so done with this now. I'm just, I'm done with it. And I'll come into the church office and they'll hear me moaning down the corridor, grumbling loudly, huffing to myself about the fact that we are still in this situation. You know, I'm just, I just want to see people's faces again when I'm talking to them to see whether or not actually they're smiling at me or being angry at me. Or, you know, I want to be able to go into a shop and not have my glasses fog up to the point where I can't actually see what I'm picking up with my hands because I've got a mask on. And most of all, I want to be able to just stand with other people and sing together and worship Jesus together and just encounter his presence with a room full of people because we're called to be together, as I said back in September. Maybe you feel like I do. Maybe you're completely done with it, just totally done with the whole thing. But all of us are questioning, aren't we, what what the next 12 months is going to look like? Because if you look at the news depending on what newspaper you look at or what website you go on to, everybody's got a different opinion, haven't they? Everybody's got an opinion about this. Are we going to experience a return to normality? Will we be dealt another curveball? Is there going to be a different type of virus that turns up out of nowhere? Where are we going to be at by January next year? It's so easy to speculate. I see people speculating all the time on Facebook and elsewhere. It's so easy to listen to other people's speculation. Maybe you're caught in a bit of a speculation or conspiracy theory loop yourself at the moment. Maybe you're caught up with what the government should or shouldn't be doing. You see, all the news, all the chatter, it can be really, really wearing for each one of us. It can just grind you down. So at the start of 2021, not knowing what the year ahead is going to look like, what should you and I, as a church community and as Christians, what should we focus our attention on? Well, we've decided, as Richard's already said, we're going to have 21 days of prayer and fasting together. Why? Well, because, look, one of our core values is seeking the presence of God. We need to, church, come together over the next three weeks and seek 
the presence of God together. We need to make him, Jesus, central to everything we do. And so we need to pray. And so this is a real encouragement to you right now. Please join us as we pray together. I realise that that might mean that you can't be on Zoom with us on Monday and Wednesday evening. I understand that we have different commitments in life. But please join us in praying every day. We've given you a list of topics to help you. You know, there are only short one-line things. You know, let's pray for, or let's all pray for this today, or let's all pray for that today. But please join us in doing that. And please join us in fasting. Maybe you've not fasted before. This is a great opportunity to do it for the first time. Fasting is a way of just giving ourselves over to God and his way, showing our dependency to God. Jesus fasted, um, and we are called to fast as well. And it is a way of us being able to just follow in the footsteps of Christ. Jesus said, if anybody is to come after me, they need to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. As we engage in fasting, we are engaging in self-denial. And as we do that, actually, we encounter God and we encounter his presence in our lives. Please, can I encourage you to consider fasting? It's really, really important that as we enter the next 21 days, as we start off the year, we want to start it off on a good footing, don't we? We want to start it off well. We want to propel ourselves forward into all that God has for us. And so this morning, what we're going to do over the next three weeks, we're going to be focusing on different prayers from the book of Ephesians. If you've read Ephesians before, you will see that actually throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul gives some really quite heavy at times doctrine, and then he stops and he reflects and he prays. And so this is the first uh, thing that he says in terms of prayer, and it comes in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. So let's read that together, shall we? He, he writes this. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love to all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I'm just going to stop there one second. I, I was questioning whether I was going to say this or not, but this is really important. Paul is in prison when he writes this. Read those words again. I do not cease to give thanks. No matter what situation we are in at the moment, here is a man writing in prison. I do not cease to give thanks. Let's be thankful people. Let's be a thankful people, thanking God for all that God's given us and all that he's doing in the lives of others. Verse 17. He does not cease to give thanks that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having your eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. And he will put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul sets out his teaching to the Ephesians and then he carries on into this prayer and he prays for three things and they're going to be my three points today. First of all, he prays that the Ephesians live in the knowledge of the hope that they have in Jesus. Secondly, he prays that, that they live as God's children, that, that they understand what that means. And thirdly, that he prays that they live in the power of the resurrection. 
So if we could paraphrase this whole kind of uh, sort of chapter of verses down, it would go something like this. I'm praying that you'll wake up and realize who you are in Christ and what you now have at your disposal. Paul is concerned that the Ephesians not only live in their identity, but that they know that by the Spirit they have the capability to live the renewed life. This is fundamental to the Christian life, knowing who we are, what we are called to, and who is on our side. And so at the start of 2021, you need to start raising your gaze again to Jesus. You need to start raising your attention again and looking at him. You see, no matter what challenges you face in the year ahead, if you place the things that Paul is praying over the Ephesians front and centre in your life, you will wake up each day with confidence, steadfastness and joy. Because that's what Paul is saying to these these dear brothers and sisters that he's writing to. So the first point is this, living in the knowledge of the hope that we have in Jesus. So look, our society is caught in this state of despair, isn't it? I've said it already with coronavirus and COVID. But you and I can live differently. You can live differently. We can live in hope. As Christians, we've been set apart from the world. Paul and Peter both write encouraging their readers to not conform. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, Paul writes to the Romans. Because of Jesus, because of his work in us, we don't need to go with the flow of culture. We don't need to go with the flow of society. Our lives in the season that we're in at the moment don't need to be marked by fear, anxiety or worry. They don't. They don't have to be. But rather, as Christians, our lives can be marked with joy and love and hope. So what is that hope then? How, how do we kind of do that? How do we capture that and, and live like that? Well, what is the hope? Well, we should all know this. This is the gospel. The gospel is our hope, that you're not lo- no longer alienated from God. You're no longer separated from him, but you have relationship with him. You could, you could turn this off at the end of, at the end of it. Don't turn it off now because I've got some great things to say. You could turn this off at the end of it and spend all day in God's presence. Why? Because Jesus has opened a way for you into the presence of God. You can do that today if you want to. You, you can live knowing that despite the fact we don't know in the natural what this year looks like. Look, I have no idea when we're going to come back together on Sundays. We are going to, it's going to happen. I don't know what date that's going to be on, but I have complete certainty that my future is secure. I do. I know that beyond this life, my future is secure. I have a certain hope. It's a certain hope. Peter writes that it's a hope that doesn't perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us. Jesus, that's our hope. And so we live with that hope, that future hope. And we can live in that future hope every day. It means that we can be confident in both Life and death. Richard was just talking about his mum early on. We can be confident, no matter what we face, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We can focus and live our lives in that way. And this hope, this hope in us is not something you earn or have to do something for. It's not something you have to pay for by living a certain way. It's not something you have to kind of be a certain person to get. It's something that is given to each one of us freely, no matter what your background is, what you've done in the past. Jesus calls us all and he says, come follow me. We all can have this hope. It's amazing truth, but we must walk in it. We need to adopt an attitude of hope. And it means, therefore, waking up daily and reminding ourselves of what we have. It means approaching life's difficult days with an attitude of hope. Being, be, begin, being living in the joy of our salvation, even when we're surrounded by joylessness. You can walk into a room at the moment and you can just see there's a joylessness in the room. But because of the hope that God's put in you, you can walk into the room with joy. 
When Paul writes to the Colossians, he, he says this. He says, clothe yourselves in love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, let the work of Christ, the word of Christ, dwell in you richly. There's three words there I just want to point you to. It's these, first of all, let the peace of Christ, let, be thankful, let the word of Christ. We need to allow God to do his work in our lives. We need to put ourselves in a certain position. It's not just enough to go, well, I'll just try and be thankful. No, no, I'm going to put myself in the position where I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to put myself in the position where I'm going to open up my heart and my life to what God wants to do in me. I'm going to turn up to the prayer meetings because I want to engage with God. I'm going to pray every day because I want to be somebody who lets the word of Christ dwell in me richly. You can't let the word of Christ dwell in you if you don't read the Bible. You can't let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts if you don't spend time with Jesus. You can't be thankful unless you actually reflect on all that God's done in you. We need to put ourselves in the position where we can be people of hope. And you notice here, you see, the imperative is on us. We're being told to let God's goodness in. It's like opening up the curtains in a dark room and letting the light shine in. That's what we do when we open up our hearts to Jesus, when we come before him in prayer and worship and thanksgiving. It doesn't mean being fake. Nobody likes a faker. It doesn't mean being saccharine sweet either and pretending everything's all right when your whole life is falling apart. That's not what this is about. We need to be authentic and honest. If you've had a bad day, don't go, oh, I'm, I'm brilliant. You know, if you turn up to church on a Sunday or speak to a Christian friend and they ask you how you're doing, you say, oh, I'm wonderful, filled with the joy of the Lord, but your whole life is falling apart, then that's just being fake. We can be honest and say, my life is really difficult, but I have a hope. You know, that's the difference. It doesn't mean being fake. But what it does mean, you see, is when we see hurt or we experience pain or we encounter pain ourselves, we can rest in the hope that we have in Jesus. So Paul prays to the Ephesians they might live in the knowledge of hope. Secondly, he prays that they might live in the knowledge that they're God's children. He writes that you may know the riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So this is, this is a good bit. I, I like this. See, Ephesians 1, before Paul writes this prayer, he talks about us having an inheritance in God. In Romans 8, he says the same thing. We, I, I've spoken about this several times before. We have an inheritance. We're God's children, his sons and daughters. We're royalty because of what Jesus has done. But here, the inference is the other way around. We, we have an inheritance in God, but actually what you see here is Paul saying that we are God's inheritance. We are Christ's inheritance. You are Christ's inheritance. Think about that. What, what is, that's an amazing fact. That should be life-changing information to you. It should be. No longer are you bound to sin. You're not slave to it anymore. You've been freed from it. No longer... Are you who you feel you might be or think you might be? No longer are you the product of an upbringing or the summation of all the things you've done that is wrong or the failures that you've experienced in life. That's not who God says you are. You're not any of those things. You're not who you, you aspire to be. You are in Christ. Your life is hid with Christ in God. You belong to Jesus. You are his inheritance. He's bought you at a cost. You are God's child. You are his heir. I've said this before, this phrase has stuck with me in, what, in, in how I want to teach, really. Repetition builds formation. I, I, so I, I know that I say the same things a lot, and that's not a problem, because these things are important to you. 
I'm going to keep saying these things until you get bored of me saying it. Until you can recite back my preaching to me about having an identity in Christ, I will keep saying it. You need to wake up and realize who you are in Jesus because there is an authority and power that is placed upon you. There is an identity over your life that is bigger than a lot of us ever care to realize. You see, it's in the realization of who you are that faith is born in you for the things that God has planned for you. When Paul writes all of this, he isn't just speaking into identity as Christians, but more importantly, he's speaking into the power that we have. The capability to live a renewed life, one of hope, of knowing our identity, is found only through the life of the Spirit. If you try and live the Christian life without the Spirit, you will dry up. If you try and live the life of the Christian, denying yourself and following Jesus, you will just end up in dead works unless you live in the life of the Spirit. Paul writes this for the Ephesians. He says that they might live in the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe, according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. And there was a lyric in a Hillsong song a few years ago, and it said, the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. God, by his spirit, dwells inside of you. The same resurrection power, the power of the spirit to take what is utterly dead and inert and bring new life into it, he lives in you. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you live in the good of the knowledge of that in your life? The power we are given by the Spirit's activity in our lives is key. It's key to maturity and growth. If you want to grow as a Christian, are you spending time with the Spirit? If you want to grow in your walk with Jesus, if you want to no longer conform to the pattern of this world, are you inviting the Spirit into your life? Do you draw from him? Do you actively pursue that lifestyle, one that is empowered by the Spirit's activity? Is he central to your life, or is he just an add-on? You know, we have our prayer meetings when we meet together, and we, we, we've done this before a few times. Let's encounter God together. We're just going to spend time in the presence of God. What's your attitude towards those meetings? Is it, oh, they're doing that stuff again with the Holy Spirit? Or is it, I'm going to engage with this because why I love the Spirit's activity in my life. I want more of him. I know that as he fills me, I'm empowered to follow Jesus. As he fills me, I'm equipped as he fills me, I'm released to go out into the world and be Christ's disciple. Because that should be our attitude when we come to wanting to encounter more of the Spirit together. So let's just close this down today. First of all, maybe you just need to be commit, commit to being a person of hope this year. Maybe you're one of those people who's just been caught up by the loop of conspiracy. And you just need to be, no, I'm going to just commit to being a person of hope this year. Bringing hope into my everyday situations. Perhaps today is a time... Secondly, to commit again to living in the good of the hope that you have in Jesus. Maybe, thirdly, you need to just dig down into your identity in Christ and what that looks like. Um, I'm excited by um, the preaching series that we're doing at the moment, but also into the term ahead as we look at being a radical disciple. And we're going to spend some time again looking at identity. It's really important that we grow in our knowledge of who God says that we are. And lastly, let me just finish you... Uh, finish by talking about this. This is uh, from the end of these verses in Ephesians. This is who Paul says Jesus is and who we need to take account, account of who Jesus is this morning. Jesus is far above 
all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. All things are under his feet. And he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus reigns supreme, writes Paul. We come to the start of 2021, Jesus reigns supreme, just as much as he did in 2020. He's over every authority and every power. At the cross, it looked like Jesus had been defeated. The Roman authorities, the Jewish authorities, the powers of man, the powers of darkness looked like they had overcome him. They looked like they had won a victory over him. They looked like they had defeated him. The one who said he was the son of God, they looked like they had overpowered him. But Jesus makes a mockery of them. You need to understand that. God makes a mockery of the powers. The powers look like they have defeated Jesus, yet Jesus raises to new life. He makes the powers look silly in comparison to his great power. Why? Because the power is at work in him, the power that conquered uh, the grave. He is now far above all rule and dominion and authority. Everything has been placed underneath Jesus. And you serve him, and you know him, and you call him friend and brother. When you come to him in prayer this week and over the 21 days, remember who it is you are speaking to, the one who all the other powers sit underneath. He's over all of it today. So we can walk with confidence this year. You and I can walk with confidence. Our Jesus, our Lord, our King has all power and authority. He's far above all things. Paul writes to the Colossians that we need to set our minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Raise your gaze again today. Raise your attention again today to him. The psalmist writes this, Lift your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Let's remind ourselves over the next three weeks of who the God is that we serve of who we are in him, of the power we now have by his spirit in our lives. Let's come to him in that way as we engage in three weeks of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is hard work. I'm not going to lie to you. It's difficult. But do you know what? As we do it, as we commit to it, we are saying, God, you, are, you have the authority over my life. Do what you want to do with me. Do what you want to do in this church. Do what you want to do in this town. God, we come before you. You're the one who has all power and authority. So, Lord, we give everything back to you again. And that's what we're going to do over the next 21 days. So my encouragement to you as we close this morning. As we, can, we, can, we, can we sing a song? Is that all right? My encouragement as we close this morning is this. Look, focus again on Jesus. Focus again on the one who has come and overcome and ask his spirit to come and fill your life with power. That you might be able to walk through this year with hope and joy. That you might be able to walk through this year, no matter what each day brings, knowing Jesus, knowing his goodness in your life. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've overcome. We thank you you've disarmed every other power and you now sit and reign supreme, the one who is seated far above. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power of the Spirit in our lives. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, now that over the next three weeks we might know an indwelling and an infilling of you more and more. Remember what Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 5, be filled with the Spirit. So Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, that as we walk through these weeks, that we would know more and more your presence and your power working within us. Lord, we pray for this year ahead. Lord, we don't know what it's going to bring, but Lord, we know you're on the throne. Lord, we know you reign supreme. And so Lord, we thank you that we serve you. 
We thank you that we have a hope in you. Amen.